I'm your host, Stephen Gutteridge, and welcome to Mid-South Moments. We welcome a very special guest host this week. Mid-South Moments has crossed the equator and headed down under for our first ever Australian guest. All the way from Adelaide, professional wrestler Savannah Summers is here. How are you doing today, Savannah? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me. No, thank you very much for coming on. So before we get on to Mid-South, um, let's talk about you. So what are, your, what are some of your earliest memories watching wrestling? Oh gosh, I didn't. Um, I didn't really start watching until I was probably about nine or ten. Okay, well, that's, I, not, that's um, not super late. I suppose. So when you said that, I thought you were going to say I didn't start watching until I was twenty or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's when I started wrestling myself. Yes, yeah. No, I um, I I didn't. I don't. I don't have any brothers or anything, so I didn't have anyone really like introducing it to me. And my dad definitely wasn't into it. He never really showed me wrestling, so <laughs> I definitely discovered it all on my own and um, and just found it on TV one day and fell in love and never never missed it since, basically. That's great. So who were some of your early favourites and kind of some of your first, first sort of matches and memorable angles and stuff that you remember when you were first watching? I definitely loved The Undertaker when I first started watching and The Rock. I think they both just had really out there... Um, characters and personalities so they Mm. really really stood out for me Um, and I just loved all the girls any girls that were on my screen I fell in love with Um, at the time uh, I think it was like Jacqueline and Jazz and China and uh, Trish sort of just started I think when Mm. I sort of started watching so um yeah, I loved. I just loved all the women. Anytime there was a, a new girl that I hadn't seen before, I was always just like glued to the screen. Like, oh my god, who's this? There's another girl I didn't even know about her, and it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's that's great, and it's so, it's so interesting because you, you don't hear, um, you know, wrestling podcasts, news, and stuff. You don't hear too many female voices talking about wrestling, and whenever I've heard. Um, or I've had a couple of a lady guests on the show previously. It's always really important to have that. Obviously, it's great, you know, great watching the guys. But I think you can obviously, you know, naturally relate to the to the uh, female wrestlers as well. And, and I think it's really important. Well, just, we're skipping forward a bit. But how, how have you? What do you think about the kind of change in the presentation of women's wrestling, especially in WWE over the last sort of few years? Um, yeah, I think it's really good. I, I love having more women on on screen and uh, more angles, not just your one-off, you know, four or five-minute match on the whole show. You know, I love that you might get two or three women's matches now and then we still have the women managers and ballets and all of that as well. Like, I love it. I, as More women, the better. For me anyway, that's that's what I like to watch. It's what yeah. really draws me in. So I mean, it's yeah. interesting. I went back in, um, so at the start of lockdown and everything, I was a bit, bit bored to say the least. So I set myself <laughs> a project to go back and watch every um, match that Dave Meltzer had ever given five stars to. And the ones okay. that really jump out were the women's matches in all Japan women's um, in the in the mid eighties and also the kind of nineties into the mid nineties Manami Toyota and a few other people. And it's just yeah. like you just kind of think all that time that they missed out on promoting women in the in the right way, and you could have had all, yeah. you could have had loads of stars and stuff. And I just, I just think as, as, as well in mixed martial arts, I just think that the <clears throat> it's, it's the same but it's different, and it brings an, a different um, element to it and. 
Um, this, this, I think the selling when it's women's wrestling is, is, is something they can take to a, you know, a, a, a kind of higher and a different level and garner more sympathy and all that sort of stuff. And I think, yeah, it's, it's really important. And let's hope that they continue in the right direction because there's no re- – look at Ronda Rousey and other people. There's no reason why – and Becky Lynch is, is a great example. I mean, she was, she was on absolute fire heading into that WrestleMania and there's no reason why that, yeah. shouldn't, that shouldn't continue. Um, yeah, Definitely. So what, what, Definitely. And there's so many amazing women coming through. I can't see it slowing down anytime soon. Well, let's hope so. And I just hope that the people that are in charge of promotions realise that, you know, it is an important thing and they, and they should be on, you know, just like in AEW, there could be a tag team championship match that main events a pay-per-view. Absolutely, they should be aiming for having, you know, the right, well-built-up women's championship match along with the men's world title, et cetera, as well. So I'm a big believer in that. I think you need, you need variety and I think it should be pushed, you know, at the absolute same level because there's no reason for it not to be like like MMA is now I mean the, you know it's and, and that that took a bit bit more time to evolve but they've got there in the end um yeah going, back, going back in time again when did you kind of start seriously thinking about sort of turning pro so go, go crossing the line from sort of being a fan to actually getting in there yourself to be honest um I think as soon as I started watching it and I fell in love with it I knew that it's what I wanted to do Mm. I, I just knew that it was me all over. I was like, everything about it is me and I, I need to be a part of this somehow. And I remember asking my mum straight away when I was like about 10, like, you know, I was like, I want to be a wrestler. Can I, can you get me into a wrestling school? And I, I think she was, had no idea where to even begin, yeah. to, you know, because we, I didn't even know about wrestling in Adelaide or really in Australia, let alone Adelaide back way back then. And I think she thought, well, maybe we could get you into some other martial arts or something. And then my dad was like, maybe we could get you into bodybuilding, but I was way too young. And, um, and my mum didn't really want me to get hurt or anything either. Yeah. She, I think she was a bit worried about that. She's, not against, you know, that sort of thing, but I was just so young at that point and I think she thought I would grow out of it. So they sort of just brushed it off like it was a phase and then when I was a teenager, I I would tell everybody, like, I'm going to be a wrestler, I'm going to be a wrestler and, it, and all my friends laughed at me and thought it was hilarious and I'm like, no, it, I'm going to do it, like it's going to happen. I just need to figure out how. That's incredible, <laughs> that's incredible. Like, yeah. Yeah, because I still didn't know we had any schools or anything in Adelaide. So it was just a matter of figuring out how. And then um, when I turned 18, I met some guys when I was in town and they were pro wrestlers and I I was so happy. I was like, oh, this is perfect. The universe <laughs> brought you to me. I put it out there and you came to me. And then, you know, two weeks later I was on my first show. Oh, so, that's incredible. So what were the yeah, nerves not like? Not wrestling, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, what, what were the nerves like yeah. before that first? I mean, I can't, you know, I, 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 I have no uh, possible understanding what it must have been like to get in there in front of a crowd for the first time. So what, what were the nerves like before that first match? It was ridiculous. I was so scared and I didn't, um, we didn't have any other women over here. So I trained for like a good year before I had my first match, but like I went out and so I'd been in front of the crowd as a ballet for mm. a year, but being in the ring and wrestling is like completely different. It's a whole, you know, different, um, kettle of fish completely. But I, um, I just, I was so nervous. I didn't get a chance to, 
you know, like meet my opponent until the day of because we had to get someone from interstate. So we didn't have any any women over here. And we were hoping we would have some women. That's why we kept putting off, like, having a match. And it was, like, a year later and I'm like, guys, I, I want to have a match. Like, I'm, I'm sick of this. We need to get a girl. So they got me a girl <laughs> and I was so excited. But, you know, we only met that day and that probably made it, you know, even scarier. Yes, um, yeah. yeah. But she was lovely and, you know, we got through it. <laughs> it wasn't amazing. <laughs> it wasn't amazing by a long shot, but. Everyone was so proud of me afterwards. Everyone kept telling me I did a great job and and um, I was, I think you you get ridiculous. Like it's the most nervous I've ever been for anything, definitely. But when it's done, um, the high that I was on was incredible. It was like the biggest high I've ever had for anything. I could not stop smiling. I was just on top of the world for days. But, you know, that night was, oh, it was, I still remember the feeling. I still remember going out afterwards and just being so excited and happy that I can say I'm a wrestler. I had a match and and I won. <laughs> I mean, I guess that 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 bridge must be such a such a thing for in terms of like, I, I guess a lot. I mean, loads and loads of people would versus the percentage that actually end up making it into a match. I presume a lot of people would train, but actually would never, you know, for whatever injuries they don't like it, whatever, they would never quite get there. But as soon as you've got, you're in the ring, you're you know, you've been paid, whatever, but you've you've been paid, <laughs> you're you're, you're yeah. in there, and you're in a match. It's like. Yeah, Nick, I'm a professional wrestler, and it's like whatever yeah. happens in the future, no one can take that away from you at that point. Yeah, it's all worth it. It is. I think we. I've definitely seen a lot of people, like a lot of girls and men, come and go that do come in and train, but they never really get to that next step, or they're not improving and they give up on themselves, or for whatever reason they don't stick it out. Mm. And I, I just feel like if you really have that passion and you really, really want to be a wrestler, like you do, you just stick it out and as long as it takes, you just keep going until you get there because it's just a love that you have for the sport that you you can't explain. Like, And I'm sure other people get it with other sports and other activities. There's just something like in us like wrestlers that you just – it's just draws you to it. And you, I, I definitely wouldn't have been able to not see it through once I started training. And I, I loved the training as well. Like I fell in love with everything about it. I love the storytelling, the, yeah, the training, the athleticism, the costumes, everything. So I, I'm so happy that I found a company and uh, a good company that were lovely and treated me really well. And, they pushed me, you know, they worked with me until I could have, they got me a girl, they did everything for me to get that match and then, and then keep it going, you know, like that I'm still with them now and, and they're great. They're amazing boys. And I love helping bringing all the new women through. I think it's really good having a female there to help bring all the women through because when I was starting out, I never had that. I just had a bunch of boys that were young and, and just trying to, you know, make a company and make it work because they loved it just as much as me. But I never had a female figure or, you know, anyone to help me. So I love, I love that now being able to bring all the women, women through and, and you know, teach them the ways of the business. 
Yeah, that's fantastic. What, what was the scene like in Australia when you first started and, and also where that got to sort of obviously pre-pandemic? Because I've you hear things about things. I've, I've, se- I've seen obviously some of your stuff in RCW and the, is it Melbourne City Wrestling as well? Um, I've, I've seen yeah. some bits and pieces of as well. So yeah, there's, there's it seems to be quite, a, well, certainly had, was a thriving scene up to, you know, until the world changed. But what are the differences between when you sort of when you started and, you know, back in the last year, start of this year? Um, yeah, so when I first started, there really wasn't um, much happening at all. There was maybe one company in each state, if we were lucky, probably just maybe four or five of the states. Yeah, there really wasn't wasn't that much happening. <laughs> um, and they were not really heard of. Like you didn't, you couldn't really just look them up. I mean, at the time there really wasn't much of the internet that was all mm, just yeah. starting up and um and so you you couldn't find them they weren't easy to find you really needed to be in the business in Australia and know the companies and know who to contact to find out where to go um there just wasn't much going on I know back in I think back in the 80s it was really really big I, okay. I know once I fell in love with it my dad told me about back in the 80s probably the 70s and 80s it was huge in Australia yeah they yeah. used to do massive shows at the big stadiums and there was all these big names and he would tell me all these names and I'm like I have no idea but um yeah but I think um Jim of, Barnett didn't he I think Jim Barnett had a had a promotion in Australia that was huge yeah. I think back in the yeah, yeah. back in the 60s yeah, and 70s it, yeah it was massive just like it is in like a lot of other countries like the US or the UK, Japan. It was big like that back then. And then I don't know what happened. It just disappeared. It just stopped and disappeared. And then, yeah, probably the um, around like the 2000s like um, is when it sort of started picking back up again. And yeah. like when I started, it was basically uh, the company I wrestled for, they, the boys um, just started their own company because they were like, teenagers coming out of school and they loved wrestling and there wasn't anywhere to wrestle so they just started their own company and I don't they got a ring from somewhere must have been an old ring they tracked down and since then we've obviously got a got a new ring and got one shipped in and and done all the right stuff and got the proper setup but at the time it was just like a bunch of teenage boys and me (laughs) just (laughs) trying to make a company happen so we could wrestle just so we could do what we loved and and it's been great because it's built into something amazing now we have uh, I think about five companies in Adelaide and it's about the same in each state there's probably about five companies in each state and it's really taken off like crazy we obviously have a lot of women and men now in WWE and everywhere in the UK Japan we have a lot of Aussie talent around the world now, but it's just nice that people are finally being seen. I think we worked, all of us that started back, you know, in the early 2000s, we've, we've worked really, really hard mm. to get the scene noticed again and get it out there and have it looked at and to see the progress and the efforts paying off with um, people being signed and people being able to make a career out of it now um, from Australia, like, it's amazing. We still can't make a living from it over here. Mm. We still definitely don't um, have a big enough scene or a pop, probably big enough population to really, yeah, make a go of it full-time, unfortunately. Like, you could, but it's hard because all the states are so far apart. It costs yeah, a lot of money travel's to travel. travel's huge, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Um, 
maybe like Melbourne or Sydney, you might be able to do it. If you're big enough and good enough and you can be booked on every show that they have, you might be like be able to make a living off it. But it's it's really, yeah, really not happening yet. We're not really at that level yet, unfortunately. But it's just population. We just don't have the the numbers to get into crowds and and be able to put on shows as often, you know, um, like they can in the UK or in um, the USA, unfortunately. Yeah, I don't, I don't think, I mean, I've, I've only been to Australia once on my honeymoon and I don't think, perhaps I didn't even appreciate the distances, but you get on a flight or something from, from Perth over to Sydney, say, for example, and I can't remember, yeah. it's for five hours or something. You look at the, yeah. the, the equivalent drive of that, it's about 17 hours or something. You think, crikey, this is, a, this is a huge place, which is only really populated in you know, certain bits and certain sort of large yeah. cities, isn't it, really? So, yeah, I can yeah. imagine for a, for a touring wrestling company, that's obviously quite different from, you know, UK could run a Manchester one night and drive for an hour and a half to Birmingham or whatever and then go on from there so it's obviously a bit and you've got two sort of massive population bases very close to each other so I guess that is, yeah. a, that is a big big difference but I think the, the more scenes that are doing well the better because that means you know you, you know uh, you get you get obviously get the homegrown talent, and then people can you know get the imports in for the bigger shows, and, and that'll bring more crowd to see the see the homegrown stars. So hopefully, when you know things get back to normal, that'll continue to to move in the right direction. Because the, the more places and the more um, the more different types of wrestling that are available, and actually now, I mean, I watched quite a few few matches in, in preparation for this, but I just it, one, it makes me really miss indie wrestling, and two, I just <laughs> think, Crikey, how good is this, the technology these days and the production? On, on some of these indie shows versus if you saw if you saw like a Ring of Honor event from like 2003 or something like that you, you, you've got the light shining in your eyes so you can barely watch it you can't hear the commentators and it's just like yeah. it's, it's like night and day whereas now it's just and, and you know props to the people that put it together because I'm sure it's not all on the technology and it's also the people that you know put, the talent of the people that are putting the shows on but the, the, sh- the look of the show is so is so, so good um, going back in time again, what, if, if I've got my dates right, so your first singles title win, I believe, was November 2010. Um, that must have been quite a moment. We talked about, obviously, crossing the bridge and being a professional wrestler after the first match. But what was it like being you know, handed that belt after a victory? Uh, I mean, that must be the stuff that every kid who's a wrestling fan has had, had the toy belt and really, really the stuff of dreams, really. Yeah, it uh, was amazing. Um, obviously, like the company that I um, started with, and I'm I'm still with now, Riot City. They we didn't have many women, so we didn't have a women's belt. So I was asked to go to Perth um, and do a few shows. And once I I think I had done about three or four shows for them, and that's and after that is when I they get you know I got the belt and I was just um I was in shock and I think I was just amazed because it wasn't even you know like my home company that I work for all the time and I train with and and these guys had seen something in me that they really liked and they um they saw potential or they saw you know um the effort I was putting in and they were willing to, you know, give me their, you know, the women's title. And I, I was just so grateful for that. And the fact that that, that meant they were willing to bring me back over again and again and again, and, and put me up against, you know, all of their women, like it meant so much just to, just to finally get that, you know, um, that gratitude, you know, back or like the, just that, you know, thank you, basically it was, um, 
it was really, really nice. It was really something special for sure. Yeah, that's 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 incredible. So, how are some of your? I mean, you've got a, a long list of people. I watched quite a few of the matches. Um, but who are some of your? And I guess it's, this is a difficult question because you don't want to leave anyone out. But who are some of your favourite <laughs> opponents during your career? Um, yeah, oh, I've had I've had heaps of um, amazing opponents. Um, definitely at the start, I would um, say I loved uh, wrestling Billy Kay because she used to come over all the time to our company when she mm. first started because we didn't have any women. So she started, they didn't have many women there and she needed the experience. So she used to come over and I loved wrestling her. She was always so much fun and we'd muck around together a lot and uh, she'd always make me try to make me laugh in the ring. But <laughs> it was um, it was good. It was good fun. I loved wrestling her. Um, but definitely uh, recently I'd have to say um, like Diana Perrazzo or Tessa Blanchard. I've, oh, um, yeah, okay. Wrestling them. Um, it really... Um, make you step up your game you know when you get the the bigger names come over and and it's a big touring show over yeah. here so it's like the biggest shows we get over here and they get the big names over and and because we don't have many women in Adelaide I'm always the one that you know gets the matches and I'm all you know it's very nerve-wracking but it means a lot to me that yes. they yeah. they think of me in that way and they um trust me enough to put me in that position and I yeah I really I've really enjoyed um wrestling both of those girls they were amazing that's fantastic. I mean, I saw um, I saw a match with you and um, Demi Bennett, the future Rhea Ripley, from back in 2016 as well, which was which was really good fun. Though the one thing that I, that, um, I noticed about that that was interesting is that they, they had the commentary played over the house mic for that one. What was that like? Is, is that a thing that because I know in some of the later shows that wasn't that didn't appear to be a thing. What I was, was going like? to say. I think they've tried to do so many different things. Yeah. Sometimes they're like, we're going to try no commentary. Then they're going to do record commentary later. Then we're going to have live commentary. I, I feel like I, I wouldn't even be able to remember what one's <laughs> what because they've, they've always trying new things with the commentary. So um, usually if they're not too far away, you can hear them anyway. So, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sometimes, it, sometimes it can work, you know, if you want to play to it a little bit or something, but yeah, no, it's, it, it does. Usually whatever they choose to do with commentary doesn't really affect me. I've, I've been in the ring now so many times. I think I'm, I'm past letting little things like, yeah, I, suppose, um, yeah. I notice, yeah. notice things like that. But yeah, Rhea, um, she came through Riot City. That's the company obviously that I like, um, have been part of since the beginning. So that's the company she joined in, in Adelaide when she started. So, um, I brought her through and I had like her debut match with her and, um, gave her like, uh, her first championship and her, or her first championship match and first championship run. I think she won it twice off me. So, <laughs> well, there's, there's got to be some revenge good. there for you in the future, yeah, hopefully. Right, yeah. <laughs> right. But no, no, she's, um, she's doing amazing things and it's good to see how far she's come and how far she's gone. And I, I think how far she is still going to go. She's, um, she's amazing. And I think it's, it's so great to see that she's come from our like little company in Adelaide and, and to show, you know, that we can produce some of the, the really good talent out there as well. Yeah, and I think that this this is all about doors opening, isn't it? Once you've got someone that becomes a major star from a particular area in you know in WWE, they're they're always yeah. going to be on the lookout for you know the, the the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh. So I think I think that is that's definitely a plus. How, how did you? Because I know you what that one that I watched. Um, one is the sit out. I, I don't. Think this is what it's called, but sort of sit out stunner move. How did you develop that one? Because that was a really impressive finish in that in that match. Oh, with, uh, oh yeah. But yeah. <laughs> 
It's an interesting story, I guess. Um, basically, I wanted to do a stunner um, because uh, a stunner is a relatively easy move. You can kind of hit it on anyone. I'm quite small, so I thought it would be an easy enough move for me to hit on anybody at any time. And so I really wanted to do it, but the boys wouldn't let me do it because it was Stone Cold Steve Austin's move. And okay, yeah. I wasn't. I wasn't allowed to do it because, you know, it was a big star's finishing move and you'll just, you know, you look like a mark or whatever and you can't do it. And and so um, after a show, I think someone did um, an RKO and I just said, nope, that's it, I'm <laughs> done, I don't care, I'm going to do it. Um, and then I decided to do a little bit of a modification to it. So it wasn't exactly like, Stone Cold Steve Austin, and then the boys can't complain. And so that's what I did. I came up with the idea of, you know, picking them up first and spinning them out, and it, it worked really well. And no one else seems to do it. I, I think I've. Um, I don't I've think I've ever it seen it. So yeah. No, I've few, never yeah. seen it. No, I've seen a couple of variations. So, sorry, I've seen, I've seen a couple of variations of. Um, there's like the Sun Dog Millionaire that maybe. Uh, Darby Allen uses, but that's different to this. This is, I think, this is the only time I've seen this. So I, I was, yeah, I really yeah. love that. I was a big Steve Austin oh. fan as well. So that was, a, yeah, that was great. <laughs> yeah, I love Stone Cold as well, but I, I didn't, I didn't want to do it because it was his move. I yeah. definitely only wanted to do it because I thought it was going to be an easy move to execute on basically anybody. Yes. So I, that's why I thought. But it's, and you know what? By doing it with the modification with the fireman's carry, I actually make it harder because if I have a very big opponent it makes it harder now to actually hit it yes, <laughs> than if it definitely. was just a regular <laughs> stunner. But at least it's a little bit unique and a little bit different and I made it my own. So I like it. I'm happy. Yeah, I think it's I think it's great. Um so we can't yeah. we can't not touch on the pandemics. So I know you've been back in action since the world change and a match for rights oh, yes. to rest of us as you sure. So what was it like? Um what was it like coming back after you know such a long layoff, and especially being matched in front of a crowd? Because when I saw it come up and I was looking at the matches and I saw the date, I just assumed it would be behind closed doors. But obviously, you guys are quite a bit quite a bit better off than we are here at the moment in terms of yes. pandemic response. So yeah, what what was it like in, to, to actually come back and be in front of a crowd after all that time? Yeah, I think we've actually been really, really lucky with the way everything's gone. Um, Australia in general, um, except for Melbourne. Um, Melbourne mm. really stuffed up. And I think there's they, too many Brits there in Melbourne. That's probably they, it's, it's, it's us, yeah. us causing all the problems, I think, in Melbourne. Yeah. <laughs> they really, really messed up and they have just been isolated from the rest of us mm. for months now. But, um, but the rest of us, um, we had like the first little spike um I remember I wrestled the very first like weekend where it all started going crazy you know um that was the last time I wrestled I think that was um just before the Easter weekend I think it might have been in May and then and even and that was like at that show everything was like you got to be careful hand sanitize everyone was starting 
the like the panic was starting it was all you know but we were still allowed to wrestle at that point like it hadn't been nothing had been banned yet and we didn't even realize that that kind of thing was going to happen you know we were just like yeah it, it wasn't quite there yet and then we had that show and then it was like the next day it was like everything's shut down and um we were like wow okay lucky we got like that last show in yes and yeah. then i think everyone then thought it's just going to be a couple of weeks and you know and we'll be back and then uh, a couple of weeks turned into a month and then turned into two months and then um we got lucky i guess in adelaide where we really didn't have many cases and your things didn't really get that bad they they shut all the borders down pretty quick and i think that helped contain everything um, they put in pretty strict measures straight away before it got really bad at all. So it contained everything. And then before we knew it, we were allowed to open back up. They still obviously kept a lot of um, restrictions on a lot of things. But we were, first, obviously, we were allowed to go back and train, but not touch each other. Then we were allowed to go and train and we were allowed to touch each other, like with, um, physical training. And then... Um, and then we were allowed to have shows. So uh, we still um, uh, have to social distance at shows. So you can only have a certain amount of people in a certain amount of space. Mm. Um, so we haven't actually gone back to doing big shows. We've only been doing shows at our gym because it doesn't cost us any money. And yeah. hiring hiring a hall to put on a show at the moment just wouldn't be worth it because we can't fill it. We yeah, can't sell enough yeah. tickets to make money back. So it's just not worth it. So at the moment we are just doing shows at the gym. But, I mean, that's enough. We're happy. If we can yeah. we can wrestle and in front of a crowd, we really don't care if it, if it means we can only wrestle in front of 100 people, That's you know, then that's what it is. Yeah, um, that's yeah. Yeah, so Melbourne is still shut down. Melbourne is still in, I think they just lifted lockdown two days ago. So they're not in their complete lockdown, but they're still, I doubt they'll have shows for the rest of the year at this point over there because they they went, they got it really bad over there. So everywhere else though in Australia is um, allowed to have shows. I think it's just the whole social distancing. You have to, you know, everyone has to give their information before they enter the building and, and the hand sanitizing and and all of that kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would if I had to make a bet, I'm not sure. I would I wouldn't put it much better chance of fifty percent of any wrestling here before next summer with a crowd. And and I think maybe fifty percent is optimistic. Um, but yeah, we shall, we shall see. But it's uh yeah, it's I must say, watching as I said earlier on, watching these matches really made me missing you wrestling because one of one of the venues i think it was the one where there was a street fight with mickey fortune really reminded me of our york hall venue where they do a lot of ref pro shows and back in the day yeah. it was fwa and ring of honor and stuff so yeah it was just like oh, a bit of a bit of a pang in the heart when i saw that i should mention <laughs> as well that i thought that i think that is it luke hazard and sean fuser the comment commentators i thought they were really good i mean i've watched a lot of indie wrestling on youtube and like over the years and quite a lot often the commentators can be a little bit you know, a little bit iffy or grating, shall we say, in the most kind way. Yes. But I thought they were yes. really, really good. So I guess you, these guys have been involved in the promotion for quite a long time. Yeah. Um, Luke Hazard has actually been in Australian wrestling for a really, really long time. Mm. He's worked a lot of the different companies and only just now has he come over to RCW. He 
Um, oh no, we had another. We've had we've gone through quite a few um, commentators, but we've had we had one that was with us for a while who um, recently left, and so we needed a new person. and And I guess someone decided to reach out to Luke, and he he jumped on it. So that's been great having him around because he has been around for so long. So he's got a lot to bring to the table. Um, Sean is um, in media and um, knows how to, you know, ha- how to talk. So that's yeah. really good. But, yeah, he'd never done it before us. Uh, we are the first company he's oh, wow. done commentary for. But he's been with us for uh, quite a few years now. He um, He's just really good at talking. Like I said, he's in the media, so he, he knows how to, you know, give interviews. He knows how to talk to people. He's very clear. He loves wrestling. He's a big wrestling fan, been a, a wrestling fan his, you know, his whole life. Um, his wife loves wrestling, so they're both really, really into it. And I think he just he picked it up so well. That's why we, you know, he's stuck with it, and um, hopefully, will be around for many years to come. He's a yeah, good one. Yeah, I think that that's that soundtrack to matches when it's good. It's so you know, it's, it helps so much. I think that's why a lot, yeah. a lot of the. Um, watch a lot of New Japan during the G1 from the vast majority of the, of the shows they didn't have the English commentary and it's not so much uh, yeah. that I don't want to hear the Japanese commentary or that it's grating or whatever it's because the English commentators are so good and it's like you miss that because it's such an added dimension to it when the commentators are are good on that actually what what promotions do you tend to keep up with um watching wise at the moment <laughs> um yeah, uh, it's going to sound really bad, but I really don't watch much. No, that's all right. That's fine. Yeah, that's, that's fine. I, don't, I can't blame you for a lot of the stuff, so I don't know. It's, um, it's weird. I think um, after I got into wrestling, I definitely fell off on um, watching it as much as I used mm. to. I still find myself like I'll watch a, a bit of WWE and NXT and AEW, but I usually will just watch the women's stuff. And yeah. I know that sounds bad as well, but like it just really interests me more. Like I love watching women's wrestling. So especially now as well, having so many of my, like my personal friends in the company, like the girls, I, um, I almost got back into watching it just because I had friends that were there so I was like well I want to watch them wrestle and want to see them progress and what they're doing so it got me kind of when Emma got signed um that's what or like um Tennille Dashwood that's what got me probably back into watching it again and then since then obviously you've got you know Peyton Royce, Billy Kay, um Tony Storm, um Rhea Ripley so there's a quite a few indie Hartwell now so yes, yeah. I um I make her gear by the way oh do um, you? that's so cool that's really cool yeah, yeah I, I make a lot of their gear but usually once they get signed they stop using me because they're over there and they've got these amazingly talented seamstresses like mm. why wouldn't you just get because amazing gear because I can only do you know so much but um <laughs> I think at the moment she's still just starting and she hasn't really um needed anything you know spectacularly over the top so I'm, I've still been making um making her gear for her which has been really nice just when she's on screen I'm like oh I made that it's really nice that's really cool so is that something you've always is that something you've always done or did you find yourself doing because you're in the you know in the wrestling industry yeah no I am um, I just I was always really good at sewing in school when we did it at school I I picked it up really easily I remember getting really good grades in home ec and all that stuff okay. and then um 
And then I, I used to get my outfits made and I remember just thinking to myself, like, this looks so easy. It's so simple. Surely <laughs> I could do this. And I just whipped out the sewing machine and sort of copied my outfit with some different fabric that I had and then wore it and everyone was like, oh, my God, your gear looks amazing. Like, where did you get it? And I'm like, oh, I did it myself. And then when I said that, everyone starts, oh, can you make me something? Can you do me some gear? And next thing I'm making like, you know, half of Australia wrestling gear. So. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, that's really yeah. good. That's, that's very commendable. I mean, I, I, you say oh, that must be easy. I, I don't think I, I'm not even sure I could cut the fabric in the, in the correct line or something, let alone put it all together. But yeah, that's incredible. I say, I say it's easy. And then like on, um, Last Saturday, I spent 14 hours making a whole outfit <laughs> for someone just so they could wear it on Halloween. So it was, it's easy, but it's like it still takes a long time to, wow. to get okay. it done just in general. But I love doing it. I love when you watch someone that falls in love with it and then when they're wearing it and you can watch it and you think, you know, like I made that. It's really yeah. nice. It gives a bit of extra to watching a match. Like, No, absolutely. Really That's really great. <laughs> um, it's, it's interesting you said about um, sort of watching the, the women's wrestling. So I had Nadia Sapphire on probably about three or four months ago and she said exactly the same thing when I asked that question about, you know, what promotions you stay up, stay, you know, stay up to date with. And I think that completely makes sense. You know, you want to, you know, follow what your contemporaries and friends and stuff are doing. So I, I think that makes, yeah. that makes complete sense. Um, yeah. Have you had any experience watching Mid-South? And don't worry, the usual answer to this is no. So don't worry if that's the, if that's the case. Yeah. The, the, the Absolute big no. fat no. Well, I, I had none as, at all before a year ago and I started doing this. So, and the only reason yeah. I did it is because I mean, I'm sure this is the same in Australia. Like we, um, we got, you know, WWF in the late 80s and early 90s and stuff. But this, this that period before everything went national was a bit of a kind of dark zone where unless you go out and try and find it or you live through it, you don't really know anything about it kind of thing. And there's a lot of yeah. um, interesting stars that were in this uh, in this promotion um, during during this time just after WWF went national and, and onward. So moving yeah. forward to this episode um, of no, from November the 10th, 1984, um, first question, what did you think of this title sequence? with some very heavy 80s bass over the top. <laughs> yeah, no, I loved it. I actually really enjoyed watching it just because I've not watched anything from like around that era. So it was... Um, it was quite fun. Yes, yeah. I mean, it, I, everyone always says it's a, it's a really it re, kind of really easy and good good watch, really. I'd say so. I'll ju- I'll just yeah. run I'll just run through the kind of main points, um, Savannah, and I'll br- I'll bring you in to ask kind of your your thoughts on some of this stuff as we go. Um, but okay. Boyd Pierce and Bill Watts are back at the desk, and Boyd asks the fans to get their pens and paper ready because they have something really exciting for them later on. He runs down the yes. card. The Rock and Roll Express are there, and they have an answer for the Midnight Express's challenge. Skandar Akbar is called a press conference plus the Guerreros and Master G and Brickhouse Brown versus the Midnight Express. So then we get um, this video package uh, where they're basically asking people to write in um, to pick a dream map situation and a match they, they'd most like to see. Um, and Jim Ross is the voiceover man for this video and we get an on-screen graphic that says, attention Mid-South wrestling fans, here is the opportunity to select the TV main event of your dreams. All they've got to do is send in on the back of a postcard one match they would most like to see on Mid-South TV. So Savannah, if you could pick two wrestlers currently active today to have a main event match on television, who would it be? This is a tough, tough question for you. Yeah, right. I know. I'm so not ready. Um, who? Uh, um, so I guess it has to be men, right? No, it doesn't <laughs> have to be men. It can be. It can be anyone you want. Yeah, it can be anyone you want. All right. All right. 
All right. Well, then I'm gonna pick um, Shayna Baszler. Okay. Yep. Um, versus against um, who, who? I love so many of them. Um, it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna say um, Natalia. Okay, interesting. I, I thought you were going to go Ronda Rousey there when, when Shayna Baszler yeah. came out, but that's yeah. uh, no, no, you moved away from that. I was trying to think about this when I, I wrote this question. The only one I could come up with was Osprey and Omega, but I, I, I need to think about that a bit more actually. But probably more, more interesting is one people that aren't active is probably one that is like um, a slightly more lucky. Like you could do like a Bret Hart versus Tanahashi or something like that. I think that's probably a more, yeah. a slightly more interesting one. Um, so back if to I what, had to pick boys. If yeah, I go had, on. I was gonna say if I had to pick men, it'd probably be like um uh Daniel Bryan and oh like the Miz or someone. I always okay. pick someone that's a really good wrestler <laughs> and then someone that's just like a nothing, but I like I like them, so I want to put them in there. <laughs> the Miz is just spoiler, spoiler alert, the Miz has just got the um money in the bank briefcase. So I don't pick I don't take oh, st- Yeah, I don't I don't stay too much on top of WWE now. And I tried to watch their pay-per-view this past weekend, but the I don't know if you've seen much WWE recently, but I find the fake crowd noise really hard yeah i hate it i hate it i commented on a bunch of their stuff on twitter because please can you stop this ridiculous noise like every one of the screens is just still and the crowd is apparently going yeah woo and you're like i can see they're not moving like well that's it they're not yeah, are we supposed to believe that the people behind... I mean, this is the thing. I said to my wife yesterday when she, she caught about two minutes of it and then walked out of the room. And I said, are we supposed to believe that the the noise is the people on the screen? Is that is that what's yeah. being... Because obviously it's not, as you say. They're not, they're not moving or making any noise. And also there's it's never... So there's never like a... Just like this dull sort of whistling background noise at wrestling. Yeah. It's, it's just not like that. I wish they just... Especially the Hell in a Cell stuff because Roman Reigns and... Um, Jay Uso had quite a, quite a good match actually. It was very heavy drama, a lot of speaking to each other. So it's almost like yeah. just get rid of the noise and let them do their. It was it was very dramatic. Lots of like close up facial stuff. It was it was it's actually pretty good in the circumstances. Yeah. But it's just like let, get the crowd noise out of that and just let them let you. Let I know. Have the emotion I hate kind it. Of thing. Yeah. So I, I, I find that. And one one thing I noticed because I did watch the girls. Um, was it Bailey and Sasha's? Um, yes. Uh, Hell in the Cell match and. Um, I noticed how much you can still hear them talking. Yes. Even yeah. though there's all this fake noise over the top, you can really hear them still because that's because it's not real. It's not in the crowds. And I'm like, yeah. that's why I can still hear them. Like, we know this. Just stop. It, uh, yeah, it drives me nuts. I just I just think that, no, so, so AEW have got the place in Florida where they've got the people outside in the stands and they've got the wrestlers at ringside. And I think they've probably, they've got it about as close as good as you can get it, I think. New Japan yeah. have got a bizarre thing, which I'm sure you've probably seen, where they're one-third capacity crowds, but they're not allowed to cheer or boo. So you've only got clapping and stomping of feet, which is okay. It looks better because you've got a crowd, but the actual crowd, yeah. reactions is a bit is a bit off. And then WWE is, I think, you've got this incredible looking set, but it's just like, can you not... I guess there's probably some reason why they can't have... Just have fifty people on the on the side of the camera. I was thinking about this the other night. Could you not have fifty or hundred people in a room next to it, um, all socially distanced? Even if it was outside, mic it all up 
and ju- and, ju- and even, yeah. even even stage directs and just be like, let's go, Sasha or whatever, and booing. Yeah. Just, just have that. I'm sure. I'm sure that I know it's take. I know you know we've been in this for sort of six or seven months now, but there must be a way of doing that that isn't like the noise from WWE 2K21 or whatever, and it's just really like yeah. sounds awful. It's just so ungenuine. You know, yeah. you're just like they wouldn't be cheering that. You know, the crowd always wants to go against whatever you're trying to make them do. Like it. It really bothers me. It really does. Yeah, no, it does me absolutely as well. So back to me, South. Um, back at the desk, what says that um, Cornette had made some serious threats against the Rock and Roll Express and he'd offered $25,000 to wrestle the Midnight Express in any stipulation they wanted to ensure the Midnight's got a tag team title rematch. Um, we then got uh, a full recap of the angle with the Rock and Roll Express um, this ended up with um, Robert Gibson demonstrating a straight jacket and then being on the receiving end of a predictable beatdown from Cornet and the Midnight Express. Could you see this coming a mile off? As is, I don't think it's probably in the realm of, of, re- of wrestling TV. Probably not a good idea to put your tating partner in a straight jacket where you're when your enemies are sort of waiting backstage. Yeah, no, I was definitely laughing because I just <laughs> sort of, I, I was just sort of waiting for it, and I was like, "This is amazing! They have a straight jacket. They're actually like putting it on and demonstrating it." I thought it was pretty good. We did I've that not episode seen that before. No, we did that episode as a watch along, and I don't, I don't ever look at. Occasionally, I bump, I bump into a spoiler, but I don't ever look ahead. So we did that that podcast a couple of weeks ago on, on a watch along, and we just couldn't believe what we were seeing when uh, Ricky Morton put Robert in the in the straight jacket. It's like you just know, you know mile off where this is this is ending up yeah um back at the desk what said that morton gibson has suffered enough and they decided that one of them has to survive and the other one has to leave um so we cut to an arena and ross and the rock and roll express are on top of a scaffold ross in a perfect somber voice as he's 20 feet above the concrete floor 16 feet above the ring on a scaffold um, he says he knows ricky has thought long and hard about the stipulation and this is beyond anyone's wildest dreams Morton says any times they have the Midnight Express in a match, Cornette always found a way to get in there and have his tag team win. Cornette has put up the money and he knows that he doesn't have what it takes to climb up there and interfere. Um, I thought this whole segment, basically challenging the Midnight Express to a, um, a scaffold match, was really, really strong. I thought the presentation with Ross and, and the somber tone, and um, they showed, I think it was a, was it a watermelon or lemon watermelon, or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah being chucked off the top of the scaffold. And it exploded. And it exploded. Yeah. I just thought this was, this was so, so, so good. Um, and, the, and the tone was perfect. It was not sort of bombastic, but a realisation that what was coming next was very dangerous, but had to be done, settle things once and for all. What did you think of this, uh, this overall segment here? Yeah, no, it, it was pretty intense. Like I've not really seen um, those sorts of matches before, so I was like, "Dude, I wouldn't do that. That looks scary." No, <laughs> it's crazy. You think you got you're probably four of the best wrestlers in the world at that point, and you're sticking them up on a scaffold. Yeah. And believe it, I've got this in my notes somewhere, but I'm gonna skip forward to it. They did this. So what would happen in Mid South was. They would promote these matches, um, but the bits that you didn't see was going in and out of the break, they would have a local promo. So if you were in Tulsa, say, for example, you, or uh, Louisiana, New Orleans or some, somewhere, you'd get your promo for, the, for that match at your arena. But you kind of lived in a world where you thought that, you know, that was being promoted for your, unless you were kind of really inside and you were an observer subscriber or whatever, you kind of thought yeah. that that main event was coming to your arena and that was it. But actually they ran this scaffold match in 15 different towns. So that, I mean, it was just a few, yeah, it was, it, so this wasn't building, even, even the Superdome show. So they had three or four uh, shows at the Superdome where WrestleMania 30 and 34 
uh yeah 34 was um but again they would repeat those main events in other towns but you didn't you just oh didn't you God. didn't yeah so they had to do they had to do that that many times which is just um you know just crazy really that's just silly that's yeah just it really ridiculous. is it really is <laughs> oh wow that's dedication <laughs> yeah absolutely that had a hard schedule back then as well um so yeah. our first contest of the evening with jim ross on ring announcer duty had dale vc and jack victory going up against the team at the moment the rock and roll express who came out to a great reaction to their famous elo theme um this was total squash with uh, rock and roll winning in 27 seconds with a double drop kick um, i was a bit gutted not to see a bit more of um, gibson and morton in action here and any thoughts on this uh short opening encounter here yeah, wow, it was so quick. I wasn't expecting it either. I was like, oh, my God, is that already over? I yeah. always thought it was a stuff-up. I was like, I'm not used to that at all. But And I think um, one of the guys, they were getting, he had gotten back in, like they were all in the ring, and I was like, what's happening? But, you know, <laughs> that was it. That was the end. That was, was like, it, okay. yeah. That was it. It's, it. They don't do, I think the longest match I've seen in a year watching this is about seven minutes. So they don't they do not yeah. do long matches on television. But it's quite, it's quite refreshing, actually, just, you just you're just in out and on then on to the on to the next thing um i think with the, yeah. with the amount of time that um just get your thoughts on this with the amount of time that the shows have now especially wwe it feels sometimes like the matches that would have been like eight minutes are now 15 or something and without necessarily a reason for that being needed if that makes sense yeah, no, I definitely noticed that. Like watching this, it's so different. Like all of the matches are a lot shorter and quicker and just, you know, yeah, in and out. And I was like, well, I just was in shock because you just don't get that these days. No, like, no, you yeah, really the, don't. The men's matches these days will go for, yeah, like you said, like good 15 minutes and and that's just sort of normal. I think I've just been used to that. And so it was it was a bit of a shock. I was like, wow. Oh yeah, um, we, we I think we're all conditioned. Like if you, if you go back, I, I was the the sort of second follow up thing. I was going back and watching all of Bret Hart's pay per view matches, and like some of his stuff that you you think about, um, like the one with Perfect at SummerSlam '91 and Roddy Piper at Eight, These are all matches that are like thirteen minutes, and you think you, this 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 like timeless classic is not you know, 19, 20, 25 minutes. I, I do feel like New Japan's particularly bad for this. And I've said this numerous times, ad nauseum on the show, but I just think if everything's the same length, if, everything, if every main event's always 30 minutes, what, yeah. what does the first 20 minutes mean? Because yeah. you almost, I, I would you love... Know. You know. You, exactly, because yeah. you know. I would love yeah. to see... I mean, they probably wouldn't do it at Wrestle Kingdom, but I would love to see... You know, someone go in there for a, at a main event, and someone just beat someone in five minutes, make a new star, and yes. just like that is. And then, then for the next eighteen months or, or a couple of years, you're always thinking, well, actually, that could that yeah, could, happen. could happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's no, what real I fighting's like, isn't agree. it? Yeah, I completely agree. I like it when things are unexpected, when things like happen that you really don't expect to happen. And like you said, because they have those 30 minute matches, if they just came out and and finished in like five minutes or, you know, seven minutes, you'd be like, oh, wow. Yeah, exactly. You wouldn't expect it. You'd be like me, and you'd think, "Was that meant to happen?" <laughs> yeah, and yeah, anything that gets you thinking. Like, but you you might watch a big boxing um, fight or MMA or whatever, and that could you know that you could get the you know Conor McGregor and Cerrone like few second knockout and something. I, I do think there's something yeah. to be said for anything in wrestling that is different. I think is is good. Like what I, I remember I was watching one of your match, the Izzy Shaw match was a, was the was a roll up finish, wasn't it? I, was like, I absolutely love roll up finish. They used to use that a lot in NWA and stuff in the late '80s in their big championship yeah. match. It didn't always have to be like. 
I'll kick out of your finisher three times, you kick out of my finisher three times, but then the fourth one gets me. It's like, it is, yeah. if, you, if you think, and you, you're obviously miles more qualified to talk about this than me, but from a layman's perspective, you're, you know, you're trying to put someone's shoulders on the mat for a three count. And of course, yeah. if, that's the, if that's the, you know, you win the belt or the money or whatever, of course you try a little, you know, a little dodgy roll up or something like that, or a little trickster yeah. type move. Of course you would. So, I, you know, there's, there's lots yeah. to be said for more of that. Um, so back from the break, we have Akbar Connett, Hercules and Buddy Landell. Akbar says he has a special announcement to make. Uh, he's basically purchased the contract of Hercules Hernandez. Cornette says that he made a very good offer. The check has cleared and the contract is there. Um, or Cornette says he originally hired Hercules to protect him from Jim Duggan. Um, but since the beatdown that Duggan received a couple of weeks ago, he's afraid to say boo to a goose and there's no need for him to have a bodyguard anymore. Um, so basically, Akbar says he's paying tribute to the athlete by making him an honorary sheik. He adds that with the acquisition of Sheik Hernandez, it makes his group stronger than ever. And Landau adds that he told him he would get Hercules. And then Akbar says that he can do his own deals and added that Landau needs to provide him with results by the end of the show. And he asks him why he's wearing the Rolex, which he gifted him because he knows that he shouldn't be wearing that unless he's delivered what he should have delivered. Uh, and then Akbar goes through the general's army and says it's more powerful than ever. And anybody that stands in his way will be steamrolled and suffers severe consequences and they can call him Mr. Mid-South. And um, what says this is an unusual situation? There's a mystery with Landell and the Rolex. And what do you think of this uh, this interview segment? Did this make any sense at all, having not, you know, not seen the, the previous and the, the afterwards bit? It was good that they were trying to, you know, explain what was going on and yeah. do some sort of backstory to it. Like these days, everything's like backstage, you know, vignettes and um, all of that. And so it, it was interesting to see how it's so do it's all done in the ring and they just do like interview styles like in the ring and like talk it out or so you can understand. And I guess for the crowd there as well, you know, they probably didn't have the big projectors and that back then that no, they could show no, stuff no, on the no. screen. So, yeah, it's all just done like that. And, um, and yeah, I think it was good that they were trying to give, you know, an explanation and explain it like so people understood what was going on. Yeah, I think so. One of the things I've really noticed about Mid South, especially um, especially when Bill Watts is on commentary, is that you might it, lots of times in wrestling you you have a thought about well actually that didn't that didn't make any sense or well actually I remember six months ago where that you know those these guys were friends and now they're they're not or the v- reverse. But Watts yeah. is such a good storyteller that he um, this is why I think these these episodes are really good to review for someone that isn't necessarily watching it because I think you can get you can get the themes because it's like he's such a good storyteller that. You know, everyone seems to have their their place and their position and um, their character, and it's quite easy to. I think it's really easy to follow. These really remind yeah. me of the uh, the really early nitros pre NWO, which were like 40, 45 minutes long, where everyone's over, um, everyone's got a storyline, and there's lots of cliffhangers as well. So I, th- th- this is why this is sort of rude in terms of sort of. Binge. I see people on Twitter's like I've watched ten episodes of Mid South from 1984 today, and I'm like, well, I can understand how you've kind of done it because they're easy watching, and there's there's things that link episode to episode, and they bring it out for you know you can jump in at any point and follow it along. Um, yeah. So, but basically, just saying that they're, they're start, as, as I mentioned, they're starting to do a lot more cliffhangers um, with the Rock and Roll Express stiff announcement, plus the ongoing story of Landell. Um, anything that keeps your interest, whatever next the next segment is, is good. Um, in ring yeah. after the break is Hacksaw Butch Reed, who's due to be up against Jim Horton. Um, Buddy Landell is out there saying he needs to talk to his man. 
And they talk off microphone for a little bit here before Ross walks over and Reed says that he is the man and asks him whether he knows who he is. Um, he ran down, ran Junkyard Dog out of town and beat Master G. And Reed says he doesn't need anybody and he is the number one man in Mid-South. So basically, to cut a long story short here, Landell is trying to um, recruit Reed for Skandar Akbar's group, but Reed basically doesn't want to, to do it. And this leads to Ted DiBiase coming out with Hercules and Akbar, and Akbar tells him they're there to talk, not fight. Um, ultimately, um, Reed does not take the opportunity to um, join Akbar's group. Um, he says he stands alone, doesn't need the money. Akbar asks him to stop and think and says he's either with them or he's against them. And he guesses he's against them. And they battle um, then with punches, and which draws a big cheer from the crowd until the heels take over and beat Reed down. And ultimately, Hacksaw Jim Duggan came out and made the save on the two-by-four in hand. So this is, this is quite a moment for Mid-South here because Reed has been one of the number one heels in the promotion. Um, when we get back from break and Reed is at the desk with Boyd, Watson, Duggan, um, and they're talking about basically, you know, they've had some some past difficulties, um, but now they've got some they've got respect from each other. And when you've been, you know, butting heads for a long time, you learn a lot about someone. Um, and yeah, so basically these guys are teaming up here. Um, and this is this is a, a big babyface turn from Reed. And this follows the defection of the junkyard dogs to the World Wrestling Federation earlier in the year. And um, Watts had briefly pushed Master G to the moon, um, but around this time he started missing dates, and Watts was clearly looking for another individual to fulfill a top babyface spot. And this led to return so there's a lot to digest here um what did you think of the entirety of this angle with the in-ring stuff and the post-match promo with Duggan and Reed and just just this overall could you could you sense the kind of baby face turn in motion here as this was happening yeah um I could I I did feel like for me it went like a bit long like the talking yeah. the, the first little bit before you know they beat him down and then Axor came out so um it I, I probably because like yeah I haven't followed it so I i didn't feel like I needed quite as much as they gave, but um, yeah, but, I think that's yeah, a completely no, fair point. I got it. Like it definitely, it definitely made sense, and I think it was good at the end. Um, Hexer and him, they left to get, they walked off together. Like I think they almost had their arms or, or like you know patting each other on the back or whatever and mm. like it seemed it seemed good yeah it made sense yeah I think you're absolutely right and, and spot on with that Reed Reed had such a natural charisma and um, but he too often in some of the promos I've seen would get into a territory of being a bit shouty and also uh, did you watch yeah. did you watch the YouTube version or the WWE Network version of this um oh whatever you sent me YouTube yeah so so I, yeah, I tend YouTube, to watch the YouTube. I tend to watch the YouTube ones because they've got the original music in there and the WWE Network oh, okay. cut stuff out. Yeah, but unfortunately, that. yeah, that, that doesn't help with Reed shouty promos because you're basically watching like a 18th generation VHS copy that someone's uploaded to YouTube about 10 years ago. So it's not, <laughs> it's not the best quality and some of the sound is a bit iffy from, from time to time. Um, so next up, we've got a very exciting one. We've got Hector and Chavo Guerrero. So these are the old, both the older brothers of Eddie Guerrero. And Chavo is the father of Chavo Guerrero Jr., who appeared um, himself in the WF in the mid-2000s. Um, and this is the team's television debut in Mid-South. And they are up against Mike Jackson and Shawn Michaels in his second ever television match. Um, and he was sporting a glorious red MTV vest black long trunks and white boots. What did you, did, was, first question, was, was Sean Marcus popping up a surprise? And also, what do you think of his ring attire here? <laughs> I was, um, I was a bit shocked. I was like, oh my God, even, even the, the Guerreros, I was like, oh, cool. Like, yeah, yeah. I know. Like, this is good. Um, and he was so young. He yes. just looked so young. <laughs> it was crazy. But, um, <laughs> but 
To be honest, um, I've never been much of a Shawn Michaels fan. Oh, so, really? Are, so you more yeah, Brett, Brett, are you more Bret Hart or just not just not, not really either I kind would, of thing? I would say I'm more Bret Hart, but I just never really liked um, Shawn Michaels' um, gimmick or, like, his, like, character. I don't know How why. I just... He always bothered me, and so I, I was never drawn in. But it was still really good to see him so young and, like, um, you know, watch him, you know, like before he was really like Shawn Michaels. I yeah, think, yeah, like, yeah. You know, he changed so much when you know he was with WWE and or WWF at the time, and yeah. So I thought that was um, that was it, it was interesting. He really didn't. He didn't do much though. He didn't, no, he didn't. Yeah, oh, we're gonna talk. I'll talk like, about that in, in a second. Back. It's really interesting you said about Bachelor Michaels. I did, did the wrestle because I, I guess you're watching around Tom WrestleMania 12. Um, did that fit? Because that's just kind of just before Steve Austin and stuff. Did that? Do you remember at the time watching that? Um, and if so, because that that finish really bothered me. And I actually pretty much stopped watching the WF after Brett lost the title to Michaels at that WrestleMania in that weird Iron Man draw, and then they Brett had the sharpshooter on Michaels, and then they called the bell, and then. Sean won. I just thought, actually, if you're putting over your n- new baby face and Brett's going off to do whatever, which obviously I didn't know at the time, but I thought that's a really weak finish for Michaels. And I didn't really watch after that for a long, not until really, I guess about a year later after Steve, the rise of Steve Austin was really heavily back into WWF. So did, did, was that was that the thing that bothered you? It was just all around Michael? No, yeah. no. Yeah, it's weird because uh, he was, it was just before my time. Like I didn't even really start watching wrestling back then. Um, so I never really knew him until um he came back from his injury oh okay so um, second second round michaels basically then yeah. yeah so that was like he was like had already been around for ages before i really ever knew who he was because mm. i never never watched it back then so i saw him as this guy that came in and i had no idea who he was and he came in like he was top shit. Like he thought he was the <laughs> shit and he was like, everyone loves me. I'm the best. And I was like, who even are you? Like I don't even know who you are. And that's that's like, that's just serious. That's like how it was for me. And I think it's funny now I watch people when they do get injured and leave and come back. And I always think for any kids watching that have only just started watching wrestling in the last, you know, six months or the last year, they don't know who you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You come back from injury or you've just come in from, you've, you know, left for a few years and come back. And these people, they don't, you've got to re-establish yourself for those people or you've got to put yourself over for those people like that don't even know you yet. Like, I don't think you think about that when you're a wrestler because you're in your head, you know, your yeah. career and what you've been doing. But you've got to remember not everyone else sees you that way and knows you that way. And that's how I was with Brett. And I think he – sorry, not Brett, I'm um, Sean. So, yeah, I think he just um, never got out of that for me. Like I always just saw him as that when he yeah. came back and walked in like he owned the place and I didn't know who he was and he walked around like he was the best and I was just like, go away. I don't like you. (laughs) I like The Rock and I like, you know, Stone Cold and I like all these other guys that are around. And I guess Um, they were kind of moving, I guess as Michaels became more featured, that was around the time that both Austin and The Rock were kind of gone. Yeah. 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 yeah, and so for me, I just I didn't never got, I never got it, and I still don't. I'm still not a fan. Oh, <laughs> I'm sure he's a yeah. lovely guy. I'm sure he's a lovely guy, but I'm just 
you know, wrestling wise, isn't he's he's not for me. <laughs> no, and I think that's a completely fair point. You know what? My, the more I more Bret Hart stuff, and the more I watch some of the, some of the old stuff, and uh, the more I think Michael's for his time. This is this is going to be quite a controversial view, but I think Michael's for his time was very good at what he did of being quite flashy and stuff. But in terms of pure storytelling, my taste is more Bret Hart, and I thought less flashy, but. I, I would watch, I, I, crikey, I was watching some, some Bret Hart stuff from like 91, 92. And I was like, you know, 38 year old man, I'm, I'm in this. I know who wins this match, but I'm not, I'm emotionally invested in this stuff from the early 90s. Yeah. And I don't think Michael's ever, Michael's had some classic matches, obviously. Um, and the, I was there for the Undertaker live match at WrestleMania 25, which was incredible. But yes. I still don't, I wouldn't put Michael's in the real highest you know, my view, my my taste is all subjective. The real life, yeah. three or four in ring or five in ring. Um, interesting, I would put um, Manami Toyota in that, the All Japan Women's sort of perennial champion from the mid-90s. So I would I would strongly, if you love sort of watching some of the um, sort of ladies wrestling stuff and some of the top quotes, I would highly recommend some of that stuff if you've not seen it already. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll have mind. to... I'll send you some links from that stuff. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, that would be great. Definitely, Keen. Thank you. No problem at all. So the, the finish of this one um, in 3 minutes 14 was something to behold. Hector hit a devastating-looking brain buster, um, which what said would have adjusted Mike Jackson's neck. Then after tagging out, um, put a full Nelson with a body scissors on and Chavo came off the top rope with a cent on. Um, this was an enjoyable just over three minutes of action, albeit I think Michael's got four offensive moves in, um, which was an increase of three. He got three punches in during his first appearance. Um, so what did you think <laughs> of the tag team match, the Guerreros and Jackson and Michael's head? Yeah, um, obviously the Guerreros are amazing. Um, I w- was expecting them to be, you know, decent because, you know, you know the family history and everything. So yeah. um, I thought they were they were they were great um I it was once again a a quick match and I actually thought um he got injured because one of the moves yeah where he looked like he landed on his head and I'm thinking wow that's not good no, oh, I, no, yeah, I, I oh, thought, I thought, I thought the neck thing was was looked, you know, pre, you know, pretty severe actually, didn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I actually thought he might be injured. Maybe that's why it finished so quick. I think actually that one might be where Sean got like back in the ring, and then both the Guerreros were in the ring, and I was like, oh, was that meant to be the end? And but then I was like, well, the last one ended quickly, so yeah. maybe. <laughs> <laughs> again, it's it's interesting because as I said, as I said we're conditioned to for longer matches. That's now. it. That's the thing. Yeah, exactly yeah. Exactly right. So, just not the, used to it. Just not used to it. Yeah, exactly. So back from the break, we had Ted DiBiase in the ring against Lee Ramsey, who was making his Mid South debut. And um, the crowd chanted Duggan, Duggan as DiBiase went to work early in this one. And um, what says that next week's superstar Bill Dundee will challenge Adrian Street for the TV title? And in two weeks, Terry Taylor will be back from his injured spleen. And um, DiBiase hit an incredible looking power slam in this before winning the match in just under one minute with his figure four. And um, what do you make of this? Pat, do you spot this power slam? And, and what do you think of DiBiase in this match? Yeah, no, I thought it was good. Um, it was smooth. It looked really good. Um, yeah, except I, the only thing I think I didn't like was that they were basically wearing the same outfit. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like that. I was like, I need some differentiation, guys. Like, come on. I but thought it was well. So, sorry, Fanny, go ahead. Good. No, I, I just said other than that, it was good. I thought, I thought, um, I wasn't sure about Lee Ramsey's. I mean, I don't know if that was his real name, but I, I don't think that Lee Ramsey is necessarily going to be someone that's going to be main eventing. Uh, Do you know what? I, I didn't even think of this the first time. Obviously, that's a, that's a big neighbours reference there, isn't it? I wonder if that's a, a long lost relative of Madge or, or someone there. Is neighbours still a big thing in in, in uh, Australia now? 
Yeah, yeah, it's still around. I, was, <laughs> I know who you're talking about. <laughs> I mean, that was the neighbours here. I remember the in like the Scott and Charlene wedding, um, which yes. years that would have been like 1988. That did. Um, I think the first run, the first airing of that was 1:30 in the afternoon UK time, and it got like I'm, I'm going to be off on the numbers for here. We've got like eight, eight to ten million people watched it at 1:30, which and there's not even that many people watching television. But it was such a like an event. I think people probably yeah. took the day off work for it, and then it was repeated yeah. at 5:30 and got like a similar rating again. So <laughs> it was like an absolutely huge television because I guess that they were both huge stars at that point already and I believe yeah. we were probably about nine to 12 months behind you guys in terms of when it aired so obviously they'd already gone on to have like successful pop careers but yeah who knows if Lee Ramsey's a long lost relative of, uh, of someone in Neighbours there but I didn't expect we'd have a neighbor a neighbor's turn during this but there we go <laughs> Cross um, over, yeah. <laughs> Back from break, Jim Cornette is in there to introduce the men that have dominated tag team wrestling in Mid-South for over a year and they'll do for some time to come. And out come the Midnight Express and they were up against Master G and Brickhouse Brown um, who got G's full entrance. Um, Master G got a good chant going during this one as the Midnight's were in offence. Eaton hit a phenomenal elbow drop off the top rope for the win in, on Brickhouse in three minutes and 45 seconds. Um, I thought this was a little bit messy towards the end, actually, um, before the finish with all four men in. Um, and this this really s- sort of spells the end of Master G, who'd been pushed to the moon at the start, um, but has lost the last couple of weeks. What did you think of this uh, this three minutes and 45 seconds between these four? Yeah, um, yeah, it did get a little bit sloppy there. But, um, it, yeah, it was still good for, you know, for what it was and um, for how long it went. I think I was just expecting it at this point. <laughs> <laughs> three minutes and 45 seconds is a long match for this show I mean yeah this well like, yeah. it's the longest one they had so yeah no um no you it, it was good it was um you know it was what it was <laughs> yeah absolutely so back from break Jim Ross is announcing a tag team match with Ernie Ladd and Buddy Landell when Magnum TA gets in the ring he asks a wrestler um Tony Fork who's no relation to Columbo that I know of um already there alongside your countryman Bill Dundee to leave and looks like he wants the match himself Lad says no, he's not going to try and hurt him in a tag match and have a better chance of taking the title back in a future encounter. Lad backs away and gets out of the ring, refusing to take part. And Dundee says, why don't they make it a singles match if Lad is too chicken? Landell leaves and that's it. They throw back to Watts and they run a video promoting the dream match again. Um, after this, they cut back to Boyd and Watts and Dr. Death Steve Williams is there. Williams adds that he got challenged by Duggan um, in a helmet match, but Duggan didn't turn up. Um, he calls him a coward. And if he wants a one-on-one, he'll be there next week. Um, and that's it. I thought while this was quite a light uh, wrestling light show this is extremely newsworthy and we had the really great segment with the rock and roll express um, and the reveal of the scaffold match um, and as i mentioned earlier, believe it or not they ran this scaffold match 15 times towards the end of 1984 um so yeah and as we mentioned obviously they didn't let on to the viewers that we also had the turn of butch reed the advancement of scandal akbar's group plus it's always nice to see young Shawn michaels in action so savannah what did you think overall uh, watching mid-south wrestling from november 10th 1984 yeah, I, I really enjoyed it, mostly because I, I haven't watched a lot of stuff at all, really anything from um, from that sort of era. So it was just a nice little eye-opener to, you know, what it was like and how different it was compared to what it's like now. You know, you, I really have never really thought about it too much. So just to see the all the promos in ring, the setups that are in ring or the commentary desk, and that's pretty much it. You know, you don't get your, your backstage stuff or you're your beating up backstage and all that kind of 
of thing, you know. It's yeah, all done yeah. in front of the crowd so people understand what's going on and and that's how the stories are told. And the shorter matches was just so different. But, I, um, yeah, I quite liked it. It was, yeah, it was good. And it's, to see some people that I didn't expect to see, I was like, oh, I know them and I know them. And so it wasn't all just like, you know walking into blindness <laughs> yeah absolutely no that is great i really appreciate your time thank you so much for um for appearing on the show where can people find you online and when's your sort of next appearance and stuff and you've got some some matches planned for the latter part of this year um yeah so i have a show this weekend coming um at Riot City Wrestling so that's um their Halloween show so that should be a lot of fun um get to dress up which is oh, always great good. yeah and then, yeah, I think we've uh, still got a few more shows for the rest of the year. Mostly, I think, just in Adelaide at the moment, not going to be doing too much travelling. So just keep an eye on, you know, my stuff or Riot City Wrestling. Um, or, yeah, you can find me on Twitter, Savannah Summers, um, on Instagram, Savannah Summers with the fives instead of the S's, um, and Facebook or Snapchat Summers for Life. Uh, that's about it, I think. Fantastic. Well, so no, hopefully we can we can welcome you on um, again in the, in the near future, and hopefully by then, think you know things are fully open back up, and uh, more people are getting to enjoy wrestling. But I really appreciate your time today. Thank you very much for appearing on the show. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Hello, everybody. I am Ricky Morton of the Rock and Roll Express. And if you would like to purchase some merchandise from World's Number One Mid South Wrestling Podcast, check it out. All the products. That's on redbubble.com. People, Mid South Moments. They have everything from t shirts, phone cases, mugs. Remember now, redbubble.com. People, Mid South Moments. Thanks very much, Ricky. And that link again is redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash mid south moments. <laughs> <laughs>